So we're going to do our trademark thing when it's a slow news week, which means we are going to take a viral tweet and adapt it to this program. But this week <laughs> it comes from friends of the show, uh, Joanna and Chip Gaines. So you'll have this link in the show notes, but I forget who, who, which one originated this. Oh no, it's uh, Chip was the, the first to tweet it. So just, I want to know what are, what are your top three cereals? So is this like of all time or, or currently, or am I overthinking it? I think you're overthinking it, probably. Well, I mean, and just to, to summarize, to give yourself some time, because actually I, I think I kind of sprung this upon you, even though you were the one that threw this in the slack. Uh, Chip had a much more grown-up um, palette, I would guess we would say. And uh, Joanna had um, Fruity Pebbles, Lucky Charms, and Reese's Puffs. And Reese's Puffs is a very... Um, gen z or millennial type of cereal so that that's that's very interesting so are you are you are you good or do you want me to go i can answer the question yeah go for it i would say number one raisin bran <laughs> well that's your dog's name i read that too yeah funny coincidence well no no but the whole thing oh, oh his full name is raisin bran that's yeah, his legal right. name yeah mm-hmm. that's right Number two, I'm going to say Honey Nut Cheerios. Okay. Number three, I'm going to say Chex. Okay. I try to cover the spectrum there because that's what I do with cereals. I'll go through phases where I want something super bland. So like a Chex or even just like a regular Cheerios. Um want something maybe a little sweeter that's where the honey nut cheerios would fit in and then something that's maybe i don't know got a little bit more to it i'll get something like you know raisin bran which you know it's got the raisins and stuff okay i i i I can respect that yeah um yeah so i would i would say it's similar so like in in life like i would say I, i align more with joanna than chip uh in everything i do i try but I, th- I feel like here it's going to kind of diverge a little bit. So, I mean, for me, it's going to be top three would be Kicks is number one, multigrain Cheerios, and cornflakes. So basically the, Ooh, the blander, yeah. the better for me. The lowest sugar content possible and the blander. But also I, as an adult, I just, like even though since age six I've been 52, like I don't... I, I don't ever really like sugary cereals, but also I've just not really partaken or partook in in cereals as an adult much. Like I have it around, but it's maybe a once a month type thing. Cornflakes is a really good call. If I was making this list as a kid, I think my top three would have been Frosted Flakes, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and probably cornflakes, actually. I had cornflakes a lot as a kid. Yeah, cornflakes. Well, actually, sorry. What was the first one? Uh, Frosted flakes. Yeah, so th- those are the same thing. Just the other, the, the former has just a like just a dusting of sugar and just makes it less healthier than the already just pile of subsidized corn that the cereal <laughs> is. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. All these super sugary cereals, I'm not really sure. Like, I've never gotten the, um, like, sitcom trope of kids always want, like, going down the aisle really gunning for sugary cereals. Like, do kids really care about that kind of stuff? Wouldn't it be, like, candy and other things? Yeah, I, you know, Carlos, I couldn't really tell you what, what, what the kids are into these days in terms of snack food and breakfast foods. But you can about other things? Sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what, what's, what's TikTok? I'm still trying to figure that one out. Mm-hmm. A place where you post funny Dr. Fauci Hamilton parody videos. Tony? You're talking about Tony? Oh, wait, <laughs> is, are, is, is Anthony Fauci and Tony the Tiger the same dude? It's, and, until it's been proven otherwise, who can say? <laughs> oh, anyway. All right. So that concludes Slow Newsweek tweet analysis. Good show. Yeah, pretty much. So let's uh, let's ease into things. Let's do some follow up real quick. So I want to know. So what's what's the update with sports? So there's been so I've seen more social media posts. Still not. It still doesn't feel like enough. But I've seen more about 
the Florida basketball bubble. And then I have seen maybe a couple of practice games of the MLB on TV. So yeah, so what's what's going on? So the NBA seems to be going really well. The and they announced late last week or early this week that no players have tested positive for COVID since they've arrived in Orlando. They've had teams practicing regularly. And then, as you mentioned today, we had the first set of exhibition games. Um, or maybe you were talking about baseball. You may have been talking about baseball. But the same applies for basketball, where they, they had some inter-squad, or uh, <laughs> I guess it was actually inter-team. It was different teams playing each other. So AOC um, was not on the court. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> nice. Um. And I don't know, I thought the most interesting part of that actually was not the games themselves, because again, the season doesn't start until next week, but it was our first look at the actual court, which is something that I've been really, really curious about, like what the what the presentation was going to be. I mean, I'm curious about it with all the sports, but it's a little less interesting in baseball just because teams are playing in their usual stadiums, whereas with basketball, you know, these teams are playing just in this you know wide world of sports complex and it seems kind of interesting um what they've done i'm going to try to find this other tweet that i'll send to you now and that i'll put in the notes i I had sent you earlier kind of a little um quick video that came out yesterday but during the games today we obviously got a a much better look and they're they're doing things like um they've got these big screens that surround oh, the court like at all yeah i i'm a little torn about it too um that's creepy yeah i mean the whole thing is gonna just be weird for a while like even the cardboard cutouts of baseball it's just it's just gonna be weird for a while it's a quick 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 interjection again i think kbo got it right and i'm not even joking where they just went silly with it with all like the stuffed animals where like the, the screen thing looks strange. Like it, it, and it very much makes me think of, do you remember during the, um, the, the big 12? No, what's it called? Like during March madness, college basketball games used to be really big on like obnoxious fans, like holding up like weird signs, mm-hmm. even though this isn't really what that is. The fact that the people are so big is it feels strange. And yeah, the cardboard cutout thing is also a little bit, a little bit weird too, but we'll, we'll get to that. So yeah, so that that's that's basketball. Seems to be going well. Season starts a week from tomorrow. You've got hockey, which, as we talked about last week, very similar setup to the NBA, although they're going to be playing in two locations instead of just one. Um, teams are still currently in their home markets practicing. I think only two players had tested positive in this most recent round, so that that seems to be going relatively smoothly teams are going to be traveling to either edmonton or vancouver starting this sunday and then they'll basically be in the same spot that the nba is wait all of hockey is happening in canada it is cool Mm -hmm. Hmm. Uh, then you've got baseball which apparently is starting tomorrow um i think kind of a interesting story because as we talked quite a bit about last week, things got off to a very poor start when teams first started practicing again. But it kind of feels like all of a sudden, all that stuff sort of just went away. So I don't know if the testing thing, unlike the country, got figured out or or kind of what happened. But I haven't really heard much in the way of, of issues since you and I have last talked. And... Um, as you mentioned earlier, there have been some, some exhibition games and again, the season starts tomorrow. So that apparently seems to be on track. So I guess I'll ask, since you're the bigger sports fan, do you care? Like, I mean, or do you, do you feel like there's going to be appointment viewing for you or just kind of whatevs? So I, I definitely think with basketball, given that the team that I root for is, you know, very much in contention this year, I'm going to. I'm going to be following them. I mean, they, they open the season next week and I'm, I'm excited to watch that. Um, you know, the hockey team that I root for is sadly not 
not participating in what the NHL is doing. So, you know, I'll, I'll tune in and out of that, but I'm not going to be following that as closely. Um, I'm not a big regular season baseball guy, so I can't say I'm going to be watching a ton of that either. Um, although with all the, with all these sports, like I mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm really curious how the presentation's going to be. So I'm, I'm definitely going to be tuning in early on just to kind of see what all that looks like. Um, but then I think on an ongoing basis, I'll be following, um, I'll be following the Lakers closely. Yeah. And if you can throw a link in the show notes too, there was an article on CNBC about, um, how different tech companies are or like different aspects of how major league baseball is returning. And a lot of it is like the one interesting part that I found here was, was the Sony contribution because the, the Apple part, like who cares? Like, cause haven't they had a deal for about two years where like iPads are the baseball equivalent of the NFL Microsoft surface partnership. They have. And I've never, even though like I, I've kind of checked out of watching the Giants the past couple of years, like I've still watched some of it and I've never seen it. Like, I'm not sure if, if it's like a ham fisted, like forcing of like surfaces, surfi being put on the sidelines where like it's really obvious. And maybe it's just because like it all gets memed where um, Peyton Manning. Maybe somebody throws a surface on the ground, but I guess I've never really ever seen on TV an iPad in use. So I'm not really sure what Apple's getting out of that partnership, or maybe I'm just not paying attention. Yeah, I guess now that you mention it, I haven't really noticed it a ton in baseball either. You see the surface thing a lot in football. Yeah. But yeah, and then the other thing is, uh, so a couple updates on like the logistics or the um, the fan part of um then will be returned. So yeah, Sony is using some of the audio that they have generated for because the big PlayStation sports tie-in is uh, MLB The Show. That's one of the uh, the games that Sony makes in-house themselves, and apparently they're using a bunch of audio that they've created for that game. To it's unclear in the article if that's to augment the broadcast version or if that's somehow like being piped in onto the field so they're not playing in like just dead silence i'm not really sure but i also didn't read that closely and then also um what's my second point oh yeah the dodgers which again now that i don't really have an allegiance that much uh, or association with the giants i'm actually pretty okay with this the dodgers are putting a call out to fans to uh, send in pictures of their dogs so they can fill up um stadium seats with uh with official Dodger dogs. And I'm, I'm, I, as the young people say, I am here for that. As an Angels fan and as a Giants fan, I do not care very much for the Dodgers, but this is pretty neat. Yeah. Well, once, uh, his name Otani, whenever he gets traded to a better team, then maybe <laughs> that, that, that'll work out a little bit. How, how dare you? Is Tim Salmon still on the team? <laughs> I wish. He was... Him and Jim Edmonds were my two favorite players well, but th- There's up. another fish guy. Is Mike Trout still on the team? He is. Is he any good anymore? He's he's the best player in baseball, yes. Is he? Mm-hmm. Universally considered so. Yes. No, but, cur- but currently. I know, I know he's had a storied career, but what's he done lately? Maybe won multiple MVP trophies. But the... <sighs> Mike... I mean, his team his team stinks. Well, but, yeah, but... But he's very good. I'll leave it at that. I, I won't sell you the name of your thing. Of, <laughs> of your guy. And then I guess rounding out uh, with football, your, your favorite sport, Carlos. Mm-hmm. Um, after we recorded last week, things really seemed to be, he- to be heading in the way that I predicted, where it seemed like the Players Association and the league were going further and further apart about various safety protocols and how even like training camp was going to work, let alone how the season was going to work. But I sort of similar to baseball in a way, like they just sort of all of a sudden started figuring things out. So the the league and the players association came to an agreement on testing, which is going to be happening on a daily basis, which is what the players had been pushing for. And and the league had been um, suggesting every other day. Um, so it seems like starting next week, teams are going to start, um, um, being in training camp 
and then we'll kind of just wait and see how things go, I guess. Um, the really interesting wrinkle with football, I think, is that the league is not taking any universal position around fans in the stadiums. So with baseball, Major League Baseball universally said no fans in stadiums, regardless of whatever local restrictions or lack thereof was in any particular market. Football is basically just saying we're leaving it up to each team based on whatever the rules are in their um, locality is. So it seems like we're headed towards a weird situation, assuming that football does actually happen, where like some games are going to have fans and some aren't, um, which is particularly odd in football because home field advantage, I think, matters a little bit more in that sport with things like crowd noise affecting play calling and things like that than it does in basically any of the other sports. So wait, what, what do you mean by that? Well, so if you're the if you're the road team in football, what happens is the crowd gets really, really loud while you're in the huddle trying to figure out your next play. And especially during competitive games or like during the playoffs where the fans are extra loud, teams actually have a hard time hearing each other in the huddle. And so it can cause some confusion and cause plays to um, kind of be miscalled or not relayed correctly. So it's just it's going to be strange where some games are going to be played, you know, in an empty stadium, and then others are going to have fans. So, okay, well, we'll see. When around when will we have like more definitive in like guidance or um? When is football supposed to start happening? October? No, I think opening. I think opening day is like September fifth. Hmm. Something like that. Well, we shall see. Uh, and then rounding out sports talk, uh, just a bit of trivia. How, well, actually, this is uh, more of a test for you. How how much is, so Tim, uh, not Tim Salmon, the other one. Mike Trout has a 12-year contract with the Angels. How much is he getting paid? It's like 400-something million, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot of money. 425, something like that? $426.5 million. But the point, yeah. the point five, what does that even matter? Yeah, we you had to negotiate for that. That's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Yeah, it seems like too much money. Well, there's no salary cap in baseball, so actually, so that was another thing that was on that episode of the Journal, where I guess maybe in again, you can just give me a quick perspective on this. Since baseball is in, so they they don't have a salary cap, and therefore that changes how they negotiate with the league, and that's why they maybe have a more adversarial relationship with like of the players union against major league baseball in general. But I guess with baseball being maybe like it ranks third in terms of like viewership and stuff, right? Like it's football, basketball, baseball, and then hockey probably. Right. Yeah. I guess it may, I guess there's probably some variation from region to region, but I overall, yeah, I think that's right. So I guess why for uh, for a sport that's kind of in decline and that people like when like the world series is on even if it's a good matchup normally probably gets way fewer viewers than of course the super bowl and like the the nfl postseason and also the nba finals so why do baseball players get paid so much well i mean i think it's it's the lack of a salary cap right um and you know you've got owners who are both independently wealthy and despite a lot of baseball's issues, I, I think by all accounts, most teams continue to make pretty good money from things like local TV contracts and the like. So um, I mean, in the absence of a salary cap, when you get, you know, a bunch of billionaires competing against each other, it's, you're going to end up with these, these crazy contracts. It's, I mean, it's exactly why the three other major um, sports leagues in the u.s have a cap got it okay well that wraps up sports ball corner okay i'm gonna let you drive this week so what what you got um i guess if, to, to round out follow-up there was the big security incident as twitter is calling it um, which happened just a few hours before we recorded last week where Many verified accounts were compromised and were tweeting out these 
Bitcoin tweets, which were basically like, hey, send your Bitcoin to this address and I'll send you back like double the amount. Um, Seems legit. <laughs> so we'll just we'll link to Twitter's blog post. Essentially, what it sounds like is. I mean, they didn't. Twitter hasn't said this was an inside job. They're saying that attackers manipulated a small number of employees. I, I think that phrase is probably up for interpretation, but um, essentially, were through these employees granted um, access, which included getting through Twitter's two-factor authentication system, and were able to gain access to like something. Well, there's a couple of numbers thrown out here. Um, I guess they like targeted 130 accounts, but then actually were able to reset the password and gain access to 45 of those. Um, and then I guess there were um, eight accounts where um, all of the data from that account was, was downloaded. I guess Twitter has a tool kind of like Google has where you can, at any time download all your data uh, and so that happened to to eight different accounts so yeah not uh not a great look for twitter but lucky for them there are <laughs> a million other things happening in the world and in our alternate universe where this probably would have been a really big story for a couple of days it feels like this sort of just <laughs> got swept aside pretty fast yeah, so not a whole ton to add, but yeah, it definitely looks like it was just social engineering that allowed them to kind of take over the whole like user admin side of things. But um, yeah, the only thing is that uh, Casey Newton of The Verge, who writes a really good uh, daily newsletter about social media, like had a really good point. Like just that this this has the problem that like this hack was could have been really devastating, but was like just so poorly done or like the opportunity was just so squandered that when you think of how like what could have been worse like if like if they were able to get access to these really really high profile accounts let's say they compromised the account of a, a world leader or something and had actually done something much more damaging it is very troubling um about what could happen if it wasn't just some some people just looking to scam money so yeah, really, really, really not, not great. Yeah, that's that's our professional opinion on this show. Not great. Last three years, not great. <laughs> One point five stars. Mm -hmm. uh, what else we got? So this was something that we had in the notes last week, but didn't get to, and that was um, Gruber's article on the App Store. And, you know, the, the TLDR, as you're famous for saying, Carlos, is essentially that, you know, Apple seems really focused on ensuring that apps follow their rules to um, provide Apple with the most money possible. So, you know, the recent example of this was that, is it, was it called Hello, that email client? No, is, is the, what would be the more informal version of that? Hi. Close. The app was called Hey. Oh, Hey. That's right. <laughs> um, and, you know, there was sort of... Uh-huh. There was some back and forth between Hey and Apple. And, you know, that eventually got worked out. But just highlighted the fact that while there continues to be just a bunch of junk in the App Store... And apps that have all kinds of kind of scammy subscriptions and, and the like, you know, Apple seemingly doesn't focus as much on that as long as, you know, they're getting their 30% properly. And so, you know, the article kind of speaks for itself. So we'll, we'll put that in the notes and then um, friends of the show, Jason and Mike over on upgrade, they, I would had a really good discussion of this on episode 306 of Upgrade. So we'll, we'll put a link to that in the notes um, as well. 
But I guess what I the reason I wanted to come back to this is because of something you put in the in the thing for this week, which is, you know, Apple is, um, I think, on Monday getting ready to testify before the House Judiciary Committee about their 30 percent cut um, in the App Store. So. um, I don't know, it seems like we're heading towards maybe a new a new phase of where. Apple and I mean, really, some of these other companies like Amazon and Google as well are going to be coming be coming under a you know a bit more uh, scrutiny. Yeah, I mean it's 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 overdue, um, and Apple's the more troubling one of all, just because Microsoft charges less, but also they're in a weaker market position. So the fact that they are able to make it look like they're giving a more um, fair cut or um, like proceed sharing agreement like that sure that's easier for them to do because it doesn't actually matter that much the only thing is like I, I again i would just see a strongly recommend people read that gruber article because even though like i've in recent years been less uh enthusiastic about his stuff where i do sometimes feel like if I, I feel like things have flipped this year but there was a while where his writing was very 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 pro apple to like a to a fault but he's been he's been on their case this year and he makes a really good point where when Apple decided, like when there was the inflection point where iPhone sales had kind of plateaued and they it just the law of large numbers, it had gotten to the point where it wasn't going to continue to grow and they had to pivot where the app store was no longer going to be like a thing which they hoped that 30% cut was self-sustaining and it was now a profit center for the company. That is when it feels like that entire thing became less about hoping that there were great applications coming out of the app store for the iPhone that made it a more valuable thing for Apple consumers versus a way to extract money. And as Ben Thompson says, like as, as like a place where they can, as a business serve as like a rent seeking enterprise. So it's, it's really, really well written and it makes a ton of sense. And I hope they get as much regulatory scrutiny as they can, because that thing that I linked to basically Apple commissioned, uh, an allegedly independent group, uh, with the most inventive name possible, it's called uh, the Analysis Group. Great, great, great <laughs> A naming. Like if 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 you were going to have like a dumb thing on House of Cards before that show became problematic, like that's that's the name you would give your your think tank Analysis Group. But basically, it's it's forty two pages of of nonsense. Where I again, Casey Newton, uh, Newton said, "We got a tech meme real quick." Um. His thing was, oh, you see faster at Googling. And it was something about basically they paid uh, a, a company uh, how to Google what percentage other companies take and put it, throw in a PDF. That's it. You don't need to read this. And that's basically what it is where like, that's not what people are arguing about because it's not only th- the 30% cut. It's a lot of the other anti-competitive stuff where Apple now sells keyword ads against your apps to try to get money out of other people where it's kind of like the google protection racket where if you want your company to come up at the top of search results since like uh google is willing to sell chevy top build ad space when you search for toyota toyota ends up having to have to pay google for an ad spot when somebody is quite obviously searching for their exact thing so it's it's sketchy stuff like that where just ever since apple realized that services revenue was going to be their growth potential that so much of what they do is become super unsavory and um just kind of shitty for consumers so even though the congressional hearings will lead to nothing um i i i i I appreciate. I, I look forward to the dog and pony show, where hopefully Tim Cook is made to look silly by at least one of the forty people who doesn't waste their time grandstanding. <laughs> <sighs> and actually, on that note, we also have there's a thing on. I think this came out yesterday, where there was an industry report from whatever Counterpoint Research North America was. They is talked that, is about that, is that the same as the analysis group? Hmm. Counterpoint research sounds like a fake made up like Jacob Wall alt right thing. Like do you remember Surefire <laughs> Intelligence? No. <laughs> this is, we're not going to there's there's a good reply all about this, but Surefire Intelligence was a fake 
thing made up by a bunch of weird alt-right people who were trying to get people to falsify sexual assault claims against Robert Mueller. You remember any of this? No, I don't. Yeah, it's very bad. So people should go go, go look at that. But like, it it just it's one of those made up things where it's just it. The name sounds made up. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, so they they Counterpoint Research released an article uh, or a uh, um uh a research paper basically stating that for uh, that sell through volumes of smartphones declined ten percent in Q two. Apple was down twenty three percent year over year. LG down by thirty five percent. Samsung down by ten percent. Um, but it looks like the iPhone SE was one of the bright spots in that, which, um, honestly, I, 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 it's tough to say there's a silver lining to the pandemic ever and and nobody ever clipped that out. But the fact that there is this weird economic black swan event that is now forcing Apple to realize that, oh yeah, this phone that they make that is meant to be the kind of unsavory alternative to their super expensive, like stupidly expensive premium phones is now the only reason why anybody is buying phones from them at all, because they actually have a competent phone at the $400 price point is really kind of interesting because like, what would Apple do if they, let's say they like the iPhone SE was a one-off thing and every modern phone that they have like the iPhone 11 starts at $700, the 11 Pro starts at 1000. Like if those were the only options when we have double digit unemployment and people are in a very precarious and and undesirable economic state, like that would be absolutely terrible. And I think Apple like has just lucked into not having everything just go to complete shit because they begrudgingly continue to make the iPhone SE. So that's just that's amazing luck. When I know that's not what they actually want to do. Yeah, I mean, Apple is much better off for having a range of iPhones. Like having the iPhone live all at the high end of the market just isn't in their best interest, especially in the situation we're we're currently in. And they they've they've always had this to a degree, right? Where they kind of bump the previous year's phone down a slot and then the phone from two years ago down a couple of slots. But, you know, as you kind of smartly called out here, the difference with the the iPhone SE is that you actually have a phone with modern internals. I mean, I think the, the processor is like the same as the iPhone 11. Mm-hmm. So is that right? Yep. It's an iPhone 11 in the body of an iPhone 8. Yeah. So you have basically the current gen tech in a phone that's significantly less expensive and that that you know that this sort of seems to be what apple should maybe consider doing more across the board i mean i, I guess they have to a degree with like the ipad but again with that it's sort of the low end is kind of you know it's i mean it's still good stuff but it's 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 not nearly as comparable to to the high end as something like the iPhone SE is comparable to the high end. Um, but it would, it would be good for Apple to continue focusing on having a, you know, a wider variety of pricing. Yep. Most definitely. All right. Actually. And then well, let's run through some grab bag stuff. Cause this will actually probably be a short one this week. Do you, are there any other main topics that I'm uh, spacing on? Not really kind of a, Kind of a slow, slow week. Dog days of summer, as you say. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's go, let's go through some quickies. So uh, Chase Ultimate Reward Points. So one of the big things, because I mean, you and your, uh, what's his name? Who's the points guy? Who, who's your, your BFF? Uh, Brian Kelly. And his dog's name is? Um, oh, Marshall. Marshall Plan. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> so... One of like the impend like looming, one of the things that the coronavirus has disrupted is like we were kind of in the heyday of like high rewards like travel cards where like the whole thing where we now have, we had like an entire cottage industry of uh, like frequent flyer forums and the points guy where you can make an entire living off of just telling people how to use credit cards and. Uh, one of the things that's changed is that since nobody is traveling and people are rethinking what travel might look 
like for the next one, two or five years, uh, people seem to have thought that, uh, oh yeah, all of these travel points or, um, like in Chase's, uh, parlance, ultimate reward points are probably worth a heck of a lot, uh, less than they used to be. Um, and Chase has made a couple of adjustments to that. So one, they have a relatively popular high-end card called the Chase Sapphire Reserve, um, which right before the pandemic they uh, broke out, they had actually chosen to increase the annual fee from $450 to $550, which is chef's kiss on timing. And ever since then, they have been rebating people the $100 um, because that rate change was supposed to take effect on, I think, like April 1st. Uh, no joke. And that's um, a lot of people weren't really, really down with that since those points were now basically worthless for most people. Uh, but one of the things they did recently that I saw, well, one, they expanded some of the categories where I think they added in like grocery stores into like the three, the three X multiplier on points and a couple other things. But one thing they changed this week, or it was the first time I ever saw it was you could like there's a thing called like chase pay yourself back with points, which is kind of a weird perverse way to think about credit card rewards. But anyway, where you could get the same 1.5 multiplier that you could get on travel rewards on purchases at grocery stores and home improvement stores. So anyway, I, I, I only bring this up because it's very interesting that they're having to basically figure out a way to make, people not downgrade their cards and also like to have something to do with these points that for most people are going to be basically be worthless for the next two years. Cause there's been much written about like people doing more road trips. And if you're going to do any type of vacation whatsoever, you're going to be more traveling within state or rediscovering where you actually live and yada, yada, yada. But yeah, I thought this was super interesting. I took advantage of it, and it does work basically exactly like that is. So instead of cashing out your points at one cent per point, you can get it at a 1.5 multiplier. And yeah, I was able to rebate uh, the LG air conditioner uh, actually multiple times over, so that that was worth it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is a clear retention tool. So, I mean, Chase isn't, isn't doing this out of the kindness of their own hearts or anything jamie diamond said he was just trying to be nice (laughs) but this does seem very well thought out i mean the execution maybe is a little clumsy like i think you and i both have a similar experience where you kind of have to read this page like three or four times and then like talk about it with a friend like we did to like make sure (laughs) you were understanding it correctly um, but the end result is something that actually is, is pretty nice. And what I really appreciate about how they've set this up is the categories that are eligible, right? Grocery stores, dining at restaurants, and that includes, you know, takeout and delivery services, home improvement stores, and charitable organizations. So, you know, they I didn't see the last one. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. So they didn't, you know, they didn't pick kind of these obscure categories that like people aren't using right now, right? Like it'd been weird if like movie theaters was on this list or something like that. Um, so I, I do give them a lot of credit for the variety of categories and really targeting them at obviously what people are spending the majority of their money on right now. Um, but, you know. Again, going back to the point you made and what I originally brought up here, like the fear I'm sure Chase has is that, you know, people have all these travel credit cards, some of which have very high annual fees and people aren't going to be traveling for a while. It feels like even if things start to get back to normal, say in the next eight to 12 months, traveling is going to be one of those things that like kind of comes at the very end of that or you know maybe even a little bit further down the line yeah i i yeah i'd banked a lot of points that were for uh mythical vacation or planned vacations to uh japan and new york and austin and those are all those points have been cashed in 
I don't know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe 2026. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've been thinking about this a lot since you sent this to me yesterday. I think I'm probably going to hold on to mine for the time being. I mean, we haven't really made any super large purchases recently that I would want to apply this towards. Um, and, you know, obviously, like, at some point in the future, let's call it 2031, like, when we do start to travel regularly again, you know, especially with, like, when you think about, like, family traveling, right? Like, there's where you're going to be spending a lot of points, so. Yeah, the only thing that I would I would point out with that is that, one, you have an air conditioner to pay off or that you could pay yourself back on. Um, That's fair. And also with that, um, the problem is you can take advantage of this just because I'm not really sure without, so without the 1.5x multiplier on the reserve card, it's probably not worth it anymore just because there are so many cards that offer better rewards for a dramatically lower, because even though the secret's always been that the 450 annual fee on the reserve card, it's offset almost entirely by the $300 travel something or other i forget what they call it but basically you three three hundred dollars gets applied as a statement credit for a very very broad and liberal travel category it's i mean it's basically the same concept except you don't actually use any of your points and you just automatically get reimbursed for those expenses yeah exactly so that so in that case in the old days it was a 150 dollars annual fee card but now that they're jacking up the price or the it's now a 250 annual uh annual fee card and the problem with that is, so the whole point of it was that you could then redeem your points at a 1.5 multiplier. But at that point, like that doesn't really make sense if you're not going to be able to do that realistically for about two years. So it would just be easier to just downgrade that to like some other card. So I don't know. So that's that's the only other thing is that you basically, in, by keeping the points, you are then banking on the fact that you are going to keep paying the high cost of the reserve card for an extra two years before you're realistically ever going to use any of these. Yeah, that's that's a totally fair point. I do think one of the other things that's going to happen, though, is once travel does start to pick back up, you have to imagine that Chase is going to have some, some special deals for a while. I don't exactly know what that would be, but it, seem, it seem, seems like that's something they'd have to do. Yeah, maybe. So, yeah, we'll see uh other quickies um well actually i'm I'm curious because you you've had this in here for like two weeks um atp plus do you have thoughts on this or do you have thoughts on kind of the um actually i think like three podcast networks have done this where they're all maybe identifying that the near term near to medium term ad market for podcasts is maybe uh uncertain and they have gone. They have leaned hard into uh, patron models or like premium subscriptions. So I'm curious as, as to what you think or, or oh why, why this is in here. Yeah, the topic isn't really about ATP specifically. It is that broader change in at least the type of podcasts you and I listen to, where it really does feel like just in the last couple of months that. Almost every tech podcast has come out with their version of, you know, pay us five to eight bucks a month and you'll get an ad-free version of the program and, and maybe a couple of other bonus pieces of content and whatever. And I mean, what I find so interesting about this, and I suppose you could apply the same type of concept to a lot of things in the economy, but, you know, pre-pandemic by all accounts, the podcast industry was was kind of booming, right? I mean, it seemed like there were more successful shows than ever. It seemed like the variety of advertising had started to pick up a little bit. Overall, things just seemed to be in a really good place. And so it's just shocking to sort of see it turn around so quickly. Um. But, you know, I'm I wish, you know, all these podcasts the best because they're the shows that you and I listen to. So, you know, I'm I'm hoping that 
this new this new model kind of uh at least gets them through until maybe the the ad industry picks back up again yeah yeah that's very interesting and i i i appreciate how agile a lot of them have been and actually uh you're you're familiar with stripe right i am so stripe is actually i forget what the feature is called um let's see if i can google it stripe yeah so they have made a special and they actually used a in their kind of announcement and developer um resources they actually used atp as an example of this because marco built the entire atp plus wait what's it called is it just called atp membership or is it actually called atp plus or or is that just a joke by you <laughs> I, I i made that up i think it's just you can become an atp member. gotcha so it's membership it's like yeah american express um to bring it all around uh so yeah stripe has made a um specific like branch of their api i don't i don't know what tech things are called you can you're 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 deeper in the stack on this than me so you would know more than me about this but they have made it so that they're like already dead simple api uh you can now use it to manage subscriptions like this where it's they will handle emailing somebody when their card's about to expire and all that kind of stuff so it's actually really smart and i and i appreciate how agile uh a lot of podcasters that we like um have been with this type of thing so I do have a couple of thoughts on the actual product itself, and I want you to tell me if I'm wrong about this or or whatnot. So I'm I, like I I'm somebody who generally does not shy away from paying for content. I've been like a Relay FM member for multiple years. I give to NPR, I give to Marketplace, and all that kind of stuff. I want to know what you think about Relay's approach specifically, and again with the caveat that we both listen to multiple relay shows love them to death again really really like the network and the shows but the one thing i kind of have a problem with or that that i don't like much is i've always i've always liked that when you support something like that that you are just like go you're not actually paying for something tangible where the relay approach where you get like bonus shows I don't know. Like, I just, I don't love that because even like, I haven't bothered, like I'm a relay member, but I haven't bothered to switch it to being like an upgrade plus member just because I I just, I don't care enough, but it kind of bugs me just a tiny bit that I'm, that there's now a part of the show that I'm just, I'm not getting. So I don't know. Like I, I I wanted to like, do you, if you, are you a member of any of these things yet? Do you think you will be? And do you feel like you're missing out or do you have like any thoughts on the fact that somebody is listening to f- for free does not necessarily get the experience that somebody else does? So I subscribe to upgrade plus. Um, I, I actually think that's the only podcast that I am opted into kind of the, the paid version of, um, you kind of bring you bring up an interesting point where a lot of times with with these types of memberships or paid subscriptions what you're getting from them isn't necessarily even like what you what you want. Like I know like ATP's membership is kind of interesting where you know, you get an ad-free version of the show but then like the other big thing is you get what they call a bootleg feed where you get an unedited copy of the live stream, which is posted a day earlier than the edited episodes. Like, it's not something I would ever listen to. Like that, that would have no kind of appeal to me. Whereas, like, I think Upgrade Plus is is smart because it's you know, it's ad free and it's an extra segment at the end of the show. So it's it's more upgrade, right? Like that's exactly what I want. And but even with that, you do get some other stuff like access to the relay fm discord channel like i'm i don't even quite know what discord is i've <laughs> never never used it it sounds like something i i don't want to be involved with it's slack for gamers oh okay i, I thought it sounded vaguely familiar okay that's that's starting to ring a bell and that, and that doesn't like it's not like twitch like it's not necessarily inherently toxic like the relay one's actually very well moderated but i mean it's it's kind of meh I can see where that's a benefit for some folks, but yeah. Um, so, I mean, upgrade plus is very specific in that. I think what you get for your membership is sort of exactly what you'd want, which is no ads and more of the show you like. 
But some of these other membership programs where you're getting some of this other stuff is is not not as appealing. Yeah. Hmm. So you, you so the fact that you get more like let's say you you were like a bigger relay fan because you I, I still haven't gotten you to listen to reconcilable differences right carlos the podcast debt let me tell you it's not good but again you can pick and choose what you're going to pay for like think of think of how reconcilable differences as your health insurance <laughs> um yeah like i don't know like it, it having to pay for every show separately to feel like you're able to access everything that that show is i don't know, just feel I, I don't love it. I, I get that they want to have some, like I feel like somebody's going to pay for your thing. Like that, that's not necessarily what they're asking for. Like I, I doubt anybody is thinking that we're going to pay that, like that uh, they're going to pay that $5 because they really, 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 really want to hear that extra 12 minutes of like that extra segment on upgrade. Like, it's more of, I want to support the show that I really, really like and I've been listening to for years. So I don't know. That's that's my only thing. Again, no, no hate. I want them to do whatever is going to get them the revenue that allows them to continue making the thing that people love. And if that means they're going to have, like, this siloed away extra, like, that's cool. But I don't know. I don't love it. And also, well, I, and the last question, I guess, is, is the ad-free thing a draw for you? Um, You know, it's... If that was all you got, I don't think I would necessarily pay for a podcast. I don't think it's that big of a benefit, but I mean, yeah, it's kind of nice. Interesting. So you only subscribe because there's that extra segment. Well, and just because I, it's probably my favorite podcast week in and week out. So hmm. supporting them kind of in a more explicit way seems like a, a good thing to do. Gotcha. And then on this note, can we give a shout out to what is by far the most worthwhile $6 a month you can spend, which is a six color subscription because the six color secret podcast is one of the best things on the internet. It's really good. I'm glad that Jason figured out the, you know, having a unique podcast feed tied directly to your membership. That's something that a couple of other websites that I subscribe to, they they have. So I'm, I'm glad that he was able to to work that out because the way he was doing it through you know the whole security through obscurity thing was uh probably not ideal yeah um and then lastly let's so this i think this brings up a broader thing and this is kind of in the podcasting ecosystem so the new york times is acquiring serial productions which are the people who made serial season one and then a, a follow-up podcast called s-town i forget if there was a third season of serial or not there were there was yeah there were there were two seasons of serial and then there was s-town gotcha so yeah so they're buying that and that is some uh and then the official tweet from the new york times communication desk had that they're also going to form a strategic alliance with this american life so neat but I guess I want to know, like, what is it? Do you like the non-journal, like the more narrative-focused and non-journalistic audio endeavors that the Times keeps doing? Um, I mean, again, like as someone who whose daily routine doesn't really allow them to even keep up with their normal podcasts, they're not really for me. Like, I don't have anything against it, but I just don't have the time to listen. Yeah, maybe. I, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I listened to four episodes of that um, Kevin Roos rabbit hole thing. Very, very, very mixed bag. Like, and I'm, and I will generally always just like mark as played for those extra three episodes a week that just get shoved into the daily feed. So I don't know. Like, I, I know the New York Times is trying to be, be everything to all people right now, and just because they're all they're on kind of an upswing, just because. I feel like people feel like the New York Times and the Washington Post are kind of the one tangible place they can stick their money in terms of hoping that something happens. Like they don't want to give it to the Democratic Party, but they want to give it somewhere where they feel like their money's doing something. I know I'm not sure if that's fair or not, but like they're on an upswing and they're trying to do a lot of stuff. 
and I just feel like I'm I'm not sure there the the audio stuff that they're doing that's not the daily is really is really succeeding there. Though I guess that actually something you just mentioned made me think of the one part of what the New York Times has been doing that I don't care for is using the daily feed to distribute these podcasts. Like I mean I, I get why they do it because the daily is tremendously popular, but I would rather them do something like maybe the first episode of something drops in the daily feed just as a way of advertising that it exists. But then from that point forward, it goes into its own feed. Having things like Rabbit Hole and the Sunday Read and the handful of other things they've been doing just consistently show up in the daily feed and to not really have a way to opt out of that. I don't I don't care for that. Yeah, maybe they'll do... Uh the daily plus and then they'll give a <laughs> a bootleg at at free. Uh we'll see. But yeah, anyway, I mean what more audio content. I'm mean, like it's it's all good, but I like these these are all just minor qualms, but just you know. I look forward to the daily being uninteresting sometime in the next yeah. uh four months to four years. Who knows? But no kidding. Alright, you got some specials? I do. So I'm going to send you a link in the thing. So this is the Cable Matters Infrared Remote Extender Cable. Wow, I didn't didn't know this would generate so much excitement. Um, So the the context here is listeners will remember that the lady friend and I um, set up a second TV in our living room. Oh, you you bought the same one. Good for you. and one of the things that we have connected to that TV, in fact, actually the only thing we have connected to that TV, is our TiVo Mini. And the TiVo Mini is controlled with an infrared remote. And the TiVo Mini is kind of tucked away um, where all the other cables and stuff for that setup are in an area where you don't have direct line of sight. And so I knew that we needed a um, an infrared um, repeater to kind of make all that work. And I had bought one before this one and it worked fine. But the problem was that it had this obnoxious red light on it that stayed on constantly when the unit was powered on, which is whenever the TV is powered on. (laughs) So I had to search again for one that specifically said it did not have a permanently on light and this cable matters one does not so it's perfect yeah yeah definitely can endorse this one's very very good uh kind of an absurdly long cable but you can make do with that so they make two different lengths of this thing i think they have like a 12 or 14 foot version and then they have this 25 foot version and the the run that I needed was like right on the border of that shorter cable. Like it might have worked, but like just barely. So I opted to get the the longer run and just you know stick the extra cable. It's basically down inside inside this little box where the TiVo Mini is. So nice. Um, and I forget, does it come with double sided tape or do you have to add it for the little? You- you have to add it yeah yeah yeah. but it's it's still pretty elegant i mean it it does what it's supposed to and it's super cheap yeah super cheap and no red light nice um so let me find a link for you so my pick is going to be very built a little out of left field but so you can put this in the notes it is going to be the explore.org live nature webcams so basically, there's a nonprofit uh, that has a, some type of partnership or um, like a relationship with the National Park Service that runs a whole bunch of uh, live streams that they put on YouTube. So it's pretty reliable and pretty high quality. Um, that is super uh, pleasant to just watch whenever you just don't want to just like you're tired of listening to podcasts and you don't want to watch the news. It's just very relaxing just to to watch some bears eat some fish or look at just eagles in a national park or any number of things like this is a a great website the audio video quality is fantastic 
Um, I don't know. I got just, I, I, it's very, very, very nice and relaxing. And wow, there's, there's six bears out right now. Is, is this, is this live right now? It is. And actually I bring this up for another reason, which is that it taught me that something I forgot about Alaska because I forget how time <laughs> and, uh, the equator work. It's, it's light out in Alaska for a very long time. Like the sun doesn't set until like midnight in Alaska. And I know that's common knowledge for most people, but um, it is 1102 in Alaska and it is still broad daylight. 